Welcome to Hot Off the Press, a podcast that provides knowledge and emotional support for new and aspiring printers. I'm Jillian of Studio Soprano. And I'm Mariah of Mariah Creates, and we are two letterpress printers who believe in sharing our knowledge and learning together. We're here to help bridge the gap between antique printing methods and modern design. So hang up your apron, put down those palette knives, and let's get into what's hot off the press. Hello, friends, and welcome back to Hot Off the Press. I'm Mariah. And I am Jillian. And we are your hosts. <laughs> In today's episode, we are going to talk about how letterpress went from nearly a lost art almost forgotten about, uh, to being the epitome of luxury in the world of printing. I am so excited about this episode because I feel like this is something that we have a conversation with every single client about. And also all of our friends and family who are like, what's letterpress? Like, I don't even know what that is. It's like, well, here's why it's cool. (laughs) You know, it's like, we talk about this all the time in our daily lives. And it's, uh, it's fun to like put it in a, in a, an actual formal setting and like talk about this for real. Yeah. And if you're someone who's like interested in just getting into letterpress, like maybe you are already a stationary designer and you want to start doing more letterpress suites, there is like an educational threshold that you have to do with clients because there is such a big price difference because it is luxury printing. And you have to have that conversation. So you have to be really knowledgeable about it so that, you know, you're you're making that sale to them easy. Like, of course they want this. Like, how could they have anything other than this? It's the best. Letterpress is the best. Let's just say it here <laughs> and now and put it on the record. We're only a little bit biased about that. Um <laughs> <laughs> Just a small amount of bias in that statement. But um, no, it really is like letterpress is so special. And um, for people who don't know what letterpress is and and don't understand how it works and all of the minutia behind it, it's it can be something that you really have to have like a prepared answer for. And, you know, there's a, definitely, like Jillian said, a lot of education about that, like especially when it comes to clients and when they're trying to talk about digital printing versus letterpress. But um yeah, there's there's a lot we can share. And um, hopefully as you learn more about letterpress, if you're not already familiar, um, it becomes easier for you to talk about it too. Um, but yeah. Yeah. Because I was yeah. like, I was just thinking that even now still like being defined as like a letterpress printer, like that is what I do. It is in the tagline of my business. I still find that I have clients who are just attracted to my aesthetic or my style and they come to me and they really don't even know anything about letterpress. So when I start to, if I just like throw a quote at them, they're like really caught off guard, deer in headlights. Yeah, totally. Um, so yeah, having that information in my back pocket and just being able to like educate them. Yeah. When someone asks like, why is it so expensive? You can't exactly be like, oh, well, here's a here's a 12 hour course on letterpress to help you understand why it's so expensive. Like that's not an option for most people. And I would be willing to bet that if you tried to tell a client that they'd be like, yeah, great. Bye. <laughs> like, that's not an answer that works for many people. Um, so it's, you know, like there is a short there's a short version to that, um, which hopefully we'll cover and, and give you some give you some uh some bullet points to share with people. <laughs> yeah. Before we dive into it, though, I do want to uh, point out that we are starting our podcast with some true luxury here. Mariah has hooked us up with some wine. 
Yes. So um, for those of you who don't know, I have a, a, a slight love of wine. Um, I worked in Napa Valley for about five years, and I was fortunate enough to work for a winery uh, known as Trace Sabores. They're in Rutherford. Um, it's a female-owned winery. She's owned the property since 1987 and started Trace Sabores in 1999. It's a mostly female staff um, as well, so it's a very like woman empowerment kind of uh, place. And it's actually one of the first organic farming uh, wineries in the country or in California, at least by the CCOF. They were certified in 1991. Um, and we are drinking the Ingrid and Julia Rosé today, which is uh, made of actually Petite Syrah and Zinfandel. It's uh, just super light and super dry and refreshing. It's great for like an alternative to like a Provence French Rosé, um, if that's what you like. And uh, yeah, it's called Ingrid and Julia, named after two roses that Julie has on the property, which are Ingrid Bergman and Julia Child. Um, Julie does a great accent along with that, which I will not try and replicate, but, um, yeah, one is a yellow rose and one's like a deep red. Um, that's Ingrid Bergman, obviously. And Julia Child is the buttery yellow one, which is how I remember them. Um, but yeah, so together they kind of combined to make this beautiful pale pink rosé. So felt like the perfect wine to kick off an episode with, um, light and refreshing and, you know, chuggable, um, which will help us hopefully be more entertaining for you all. <laughs> First off, just that entire explanation you delivered. I mean, we can have a whole podcast. I just want to hear you talk about wine for hours and hours. Oh and my hours God. And I, so it's funny, like whenever I go back to Napa Valley and with, with friends for, who are not from there, for example, um, this happened to me recently. Um, I was there in October for one of the events. I actually still work for this winery in full disclosure. Um, I manage their wine club. So I'm still like around it a lot. Um, and I, go back there maybe once or twice a year, depending on COVID and all that. So I was there and I had some friends in town at the same time. And they're like, oh, like, do you want to go wine tasting at these wineries with us? And I was like, no. Over the years, you do so many wine tastings and you talk about wine so much when you live there and you work in it and you are there every day walking through the vineyards. Like, it's definitely one of those things where you like, don't know how good you have it. But also when you get away from it, you're like, yeah, I never need to do that again because I've done it. <laughs> So yeah, first world problems for sure. But anyway, thank you. I hope you like it. Love it. It's perfect. Let's just talk about really quick. Yeah. How letterpress kind of almost fell off the earth. Perfect. Um, yes. So we talked a lot about history in the last episode and we gave you a timeline of not just letterpress, but other printing methods and different types of printers, mostly digital and offset, um, that kind of thing. And I think, you know, really offset printing kind of took off in the 1950s. Letterpress obviously had a long history ahead of that, starting in 1400. Um, so offset printing obviously is what we all think of as like digital printing in its own way, um, pre-computers, but you could print a whole bunch of things at, you know, I think we talked about like 10,000 an hour or whatever it was, like mass quantities, super consistent you didn't need to manually like watch and maintain and like stand there and hand feed every piece of paper so obviously that kind of like took off that was the future letterpress kind of went by the wayside and i think was really just like taught in school you know like <laughs> i feel like it was probably like taught in school yeah, and like maybe not even like presses were donated <laughs> you know like, they're like yeah we don't need this anymore you can just have it <laughs> so this is a huge thing though think about it now when technology we have becomes outdated, 
we're not like giving it to people who like want to preserve this moment in history. No, we're freaking throwing it in the trash. So people were so excited to have more effective ways to print all this stuff. Literally presses were thrown out into the open, into trash, rusted, disgusting. And it would require someone <laughs> who really cared about the craft, someone who was more interested in it as a historical artifact than necessarily like something to make money off of. And uh, those are the people who, who save them because for the most part, like print houses were like washing their hands, moving on into the next phase of the industry, which totally makes sense because that's how they were making money. It was really in the eighties that like dedicated artisans revived the craft you know, there were people who took up hobbies and all this stuff and they were salvaging these machines from junkyards or people who had them in their basements because their great grandfather owned them and they just wanted to get rid of them. Barns if you're in the Midwest. <laughs> yes. I mean, it is yeah. not easy to move these machines because they're so heavy. So family members who would inherit them maybe didn't want to spend the money to like have it moved out to the local, you know, trash pile. Because that yeah. would cost them thousands of dollars. So they would put them up. I have very recently seen an entire press on eBay for $1. Come and pick it up for $1. So yep. that has allowed a resurgence of people who are just interested in making things by hand, who are like want to be more crafty about their art, um, or also who just have an appreciation for like 18th century technology. Yeah, it really is like a funny thing to look at like the timeline of letterpress and its resurgence with modern printers. You know, I think even we can probably imagine around the time like computers were starting to like exist and be like in people's homes. Like how did that impact letterpress? Like I think that's really interesting and I, I hope that future generations can learn about this in school or something. But like we're so technology oriented and like all about having the newest, the latest, the greatest advice like or device. Um, but it's like, you know, I would be so curious to see like a timeline of like letterpress presses being available for a dollar on eBay, come move it uh, ASAP or like people are now buying presses for thousands of dollars. Like, I mean, presses that should not be thousands of dollars, you know, like $10,000 on a Vandercook is one thing, but like, thousands of dollars for Chandler and prices that like are moved out of a barn and like that kind of stuff. It's, it's wild to think about how that all relates to the world of digital printing and the accessibility to people like having a printer in their home, you know? Um, but I think we really very much owe like artists who wanted to, you know, they were doing whether it's linoleum blocks or wood carvings, things like that. But like artists who I would imagine that artists who, created their own things to print like linoleum blocks and wood carvings those are probably the people who saved letterpress because there's really like not another way to do that except by hand and you have to have like either an iron hand press or a platen press or a you know flatbed press you have to have a letterpress to do a lot of those things um and you really can't replicate that in a digital way like i think that to me is really intriguing um and i'd be curious to know like maybe from some of those old white guys in letterpress forums could tell us about, you know, like <laughs> what it was like in the eighties and nineties, like letterpress world. What was it like? Like Briar press was existing. I don't know. Like <laughs> when was Briar press even started? I don't know. 95 or something. 
Um, but yeah, it's, uh, it's fun to think about, but we're really fortunate that so many people decided presses were worth salvaging and worth keeping. And even if they were holding on onto it in their barn for 20 years and not touching it, like they're metal, they're cast iron. They can handle that. Like, it's not like a digital printer that if it sat there for 10 years or 20 years, it'd be a problem, but like replace the rollers and you're good to go, baby. (laughs) Throw some oil on it and call it a day. Like, well, first off, like any modern technology within like five years, it's, like it's not even compatible with the thing that you're operating to like send it information. Um, totally. So that is like the beauty of these machines. Like, yes, they've been, uh, when I found my press, uh, the woman who owned it said that it was sitting in her garage for 10 years untouched. And I was thinking like, oh man, what am I getting myself into? Mm, it actually worked perfectly. A perfect press. <laughs> perfect press. Gordy's perfect in every way. Yeah. I mean, mine is kind of the same. Like it was in a barn and then um, somebody bought it and didn't really use it as much as they thought they would. And so they wanted to sell it. And it's like, my press is dirty. I will give it that. Um, but some oil and some new rollers and it's been great. I mean, I had to like make some minor adjustments to like roller height and stuff like that, but that's nothing that you wouldn't do on a normal basis anyway, even if you were regularly using it. Like it's, it's pretty cool to think that these presses are 110 years old, but they're still working at least close to as well as they did from the very beginning. Like we don't make stuff like that anymore. You know, we just don't. No. Uh, So yeah, it's, I think it's really incredible how like, um, when I was first looking at getting a press, I've had several people reach out to me too, by the way, like when people are looking to get presses, like they're like, Hey, actually just recently, somebody in in Minneapolis was like, Hey, I found this press for sale. Um, like I'm thinking about getting it like, but you know, what do I need to know? Like, how am I going to move it? Like all those things. And it's like, because I was local, I was like, Oh, call Paul. He'll move it for you. Um, and she's like, well, I'm going to put it in a basement. I'm like, you can totally do that. It's probably going to cost you an arm and a leg, but it's an option. And like watching, like, just sharing what little bit of experience that I have with other people is so delightful. But I think about all the time today I was scrolling through Instagram and Calgo's move, like they were, you know, lining up a plate and putting it on the press and registering it. And I was like, I just like clicked through it. Cause I was like, Oh yeah, registering a plate. Like I know what that is. And I was like, how many people are watching this that have no idea that that's how you register a plate? Like, <laughs> you know, like it's so cool to think about how many people are watching Instagram and learning even just the tiniest thing that's brand new to them today. Like it's awesome and it's wild and I love every bit of it. Um, so yeah, props to everyone who shares, um, even just registering a little plate on their press and uh, all the all the pros and cons and mixing ink and stuff. Uh, Chelsea at Inky Press also is like the queen of like TikTok videos of printing because she has like a gajillion yeah, followers she... on TikTok, but she also just has such a great style and aesthetic that like is so hard to replicate. I love it. Um, yeah, I know. It, I am like endlessly fascinated by her TikTok and um, also like her studio space. I'm like, gosh, why can't my garage yeah. just be slightly more attractive? <laughs> totally. <laughs> like Julie a I, little bit more attractive. Julie and I literally have like garages. Like it's like this is a garage and it's very obviously a garage. <laughs> it is the opposite of the luxury that is letterpress. Literally. Okay, so let's dive into it. Why, why does letterpress come in at the luxury high end of printing 
Like, what is it? What is it that makes it so special? Yeah, well, I mean, last episode, we talked a lot about history. And so you have an idea of like, the the longevity of printing and how all of the printing that we know today uh, got started. Um, so I think that we really should talk about like, there's so much that goes into letterpress. Um, you know, there's a lot of different ways that you can print. There's a lot of things you can print on. There's a lot of different styles you can print in, but really what it comes down to is like, I think it kind of breaks into like three types of categories. Like why is letterpress expensive? One, it's like super like labor intense. Um, two, it requires really specific and specialty products and it, it requires a line of products that are exclusive to letterpress and can't be used for other things. And three, I think like knowledge, but also like access to a press. Um, I think, I think that does that work for you? Like I think three different categories of why letterpress is expensive. Yeah, totally. I mean, the biggest thing, of course, is the time. Because if you think about, you know, a very modern, like, digital printer, you know, you take a file from your computer, you send it to it, whether it's using inkjet or lasers, it's just going to print out whatever you send to it. And you can make every sheet individualized and all this stuff. But when you're doing letterpress, like, you have to actually mix the ink you have to put the ink on the press. The press has to, you know, be set up a very specific way to receive the right imprint. You have to have a plate made. Like there's so many steps that go into creating a static design. And that I think is the most pivotal thing is that you have to do the entire process for each individual color of a static thing it cannot variate at all yeah you can't like put somebody else's name in you can't do any of this other stuff you have to like so even when you think about semi-custom lines like if you're a station out there who's listening and you have semi-custom lines of digital work you know how easy it is to just like go into your illustrator and design file and swap out names and then send that off to your print house and have those printed with letterpress even if you have um, a semi-custom design. design, the only time and material you are saving is the fact that you don't have to redesign it. You just have to type someone else's name into the file, but you are still going to have to order a plate Mix and that ink. plate is still going to have, like, there's a time to wait. You're going to have to make the ink. You have to ink up the press. Like yeah. only a small amount of time is saved by you know, doing a semi-custom, which is so in contrast different to any other type of printing. Yeah. And digital printing also like you hit file print or command print and uh, guess what? You can like go answer emails and do other things, go get a drink of water or eat lunch and come back. And unless you have to like refill the printer with paper or your ink runs out, like theoretically it'll be working while you're not there. Like it doesn't necessarily need you to babysit it. It doesn't need you to like with very few exceptions, uh, handmade, like, well, I would say my, (laughs) yeah, I know. I'm like, wait, both of us literally hand fed paper uh, earlier this week. Uh, (laughs) I hand, I hand feed everything into my printers because they've decided that they're sissies and they can only handle one sheet of paper at a time. Oh Lordy. Yeah. I hand fed, uh, like 60, 184 pound pieces of paper through my printer earlier this week. Um, worth it, but a pain nonetheless. Um, it definitely makes you like think, why am I not just letterpress printing this? <laughs> you know, what's so funny is Mariah and I, we are each other's emotional support. So we're, when we're having moments like that, we'll message each other. 
And for the most part, I am like, oh, my God, that sucks. I think I even probably said that to you. Oh, my God, that sucks. But I also was kind of like, I hand feed hundreds of sheets into my printer weekly, weekly. It could be envelopes. It could be, who knows, messages on the inside of cards. Like, I can only hand feed it into my digital printers. <laughs> if I win the lottery, I'm buying you a new printer. Um <laughs> But here's the thing, like some of the most highly recommended printers on the market, and I guess we should just take this moment for a PSA that like your printers do not define you. Yeah. You could spend as much money as you want on them. <laughs> True. But they will not make you a better artisan. They will not give you more time. Outsource that shit. Totally. I have a Canon Pixma Pro and um, regret every cent that I spent on it because it's just been more trouble than it's worth like it really is and like you yeah you're probably not gonna like on your home printer no matter how nice it is it's probably not gonna give you the same quality as a professional printer like that's just it is what it is you know like four hundred dollars is still not the same as ten thousand dollars it's just not it just can't be it never will be you just give up (laughs) uh yeah if we could go back and do things differently I'm sure we could do a whole episode on things we would do differently if we had the chance (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I'm glad to have mine for like samples or like last minute stuff that I can't outsource. But um, at one point in time, I thought they were going to be like the creme de la creme of my business, too. And they're not. Yeah, there's nothing luxury about these printers. Yeah, the way that Gordy. Gordy delivers, man. Every time. Gordy never fails. Old, reliable. Sometimes Gordy fails me. I don't know. I feel like my press never fails me. I fail it. Um. (laughs) That's true. Ooh. You know? Ooh, hot take. Yeah. Hot take. It is us. It is us. Because, you know, for over 100 years. Yeah. That press has been printing longer than I have by a lot. So, you know, if anything goes wrong, I definitely don't think it's it's, uh, Presley's fault. I think it's definitely an operator error. And I think that's fair. Um, I also don't think my press would hold it against me, but (laughs) (laughs) yes. All right. So we talked about the time. It takes a lot of time, time and specialty knowledge. Like, yeah, you know, you're not going to come right out of the gate knowing how to do all this stuff. There's, you know, a learning curve at every single phase, setting up the files, uh, like even where to get plates from, like all of this totally. stuff, which we're actually really excited. We're going to do an episode on each of these things. Yeah. But there is a learning curve for every single piece of it. And then on top of that, you have the fact that the plates are static. So for every color, for every design, you have to have a plate. Um, and then to top it all off, you can't just print on anything or with anything yep it all requires you know specialty inks we've got our rubbers we've got our oils um yeah and I think like I mean all of this ties into like time realistically because it's like time to learn and time to try and money to fail like I think we've both probably tried to print things or print on a different paper or a new uh, material that did or didn't work. And it takes time to learn what does and what doesn't work and what prints well and what doesn't. Um, You know, even like when you're talking about file setup, like learning how thin of a line you can really print and how big your print area truly is. And like knowing that like, okay, I have this beautiful pattern and I want to print it. Um, If I break it into three separate like plates, it will print a lot better than if it's one big piece, you know, like knowing those things and 
using all of your previous experience to make your own prints and everything better in the future. Like that takes, I mean, I don't think that's a process you probably ever like master. You'd probably learn something new every time you print something. Like, I think that's just an ongoing experiment. Um, so like the time and the knowledge is not ever done. Like it's never like complete. You're never like, okay, I'm officially done learning new things about letterpress. Like there will always be something else that we have to learn. Um, and that's like obviously part of the fun of it and what we love about it. But it is not something to take lightly. Like if you are a person who just wants to like master something and be done with it, like maybe find a different hobby. I don't know. But um, like it's it's something that just you constantly learn and you constantly evolve. But it also like you'll never be you'll never have all the answers. Right. Like, um, yeah, <laughs> takes a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, okay, just to get, like, more specific for people, um, when we talk about, like, only certain surfaces can be printed on. So the rubber-based and the oil-based inks really adhere well to uncoated stocks. And letterpress, um, in the modern sense, with a deep bite, as we like to call it, um, so there are two different types of impressions and one is a kiss, which is just gives you the effect of like what a digital printer would. It's just flat on the surface and a bite is what people really think of when they think of letterpress now, which is that deep indentation. Yeah. Um, only certain papers can really do that. So you could have an uncoated stock, but it might not be cotton or it might not just be soft enough and you go to print on it and it's not going to give you a bite. It's, you know, it's going to start getting weird when you press hard into it. The ink is going to pull up onto the sides. And so knowing intimately all the different types of paper stocks you can use and then just knowing the price tag that goes along with those paper stocks. I mean, if you're looking at a crane's letra, like dollar signs out the wazoo yeah, <laughs> for their and 100% cotton. And, um, and yeah. also a lot of those uncoated stocks that we use only come in certain colors. So when you're talking about a very specific project, um, you know, Oof. and it's, you know, it's like knowing, obviously we have tons of paper samples and things that we've accumulated over the year, but like it's there's a lot of knowing what works, knowing what doesn't, and knowing what options are out there that can kind of compromise between the two. Um, it's a it's a really like, you know, infinite world of possibilities out there. Um, but also just like, I, I think that you and I may differ a little bit in this, but like, I'm very much like, I obviously love and live and breathe letterpress, but I do realize there's a lot of things that letterpress is just not meant for. Um, you know, and I think that's part of like what makes it so luxurious is that like it's not for everything. Like it's not for everything. It's not for everyone, but it makes a physical impression on the paper, which gives you a completely different tactile experience when you open that envelope or when you pick up that piece of paper, like or that business card. Like when you pull that business card out of your wallet, it's all of a sudden a whole different ball game because it has a physical 3D effect that you can feel that you can see, that you can touch. And, you know, that tells you that somebody put so much time and so much thought and so much energy and consideration into this tiny detail. You know, a business card is, you know, two and a half, two inches by three and a half inches. And it's like, that could make the difference between the general effect it gives when somebody gets that business card. Like they automatically think luxury and high end and they spend some money on this business card. <laughs> 
No, I com- I completely agree. I um I have a job right now that's uh midway through its process where some of the elements are digitally printed because um the person who designed them is an amazing watercolorist. Yeah. And so we have watercolor elements printed on the same sheet of paper that's going to uh receive letterpress and to me when I get something in the mail, you know, like a wedding invitation or something like that, um, the graphic design element of it doesn't necessarily scream the quality because I think a lot of things could be beautiful. I actually think, you know, like a very sketchy handwritten name can be very, very elegant if treated with the right, you know, print method. Mm -hmm. Um, So to me, like, even if you have like a very minimalistic design or whatever, you know, minimalism, yes, but luxury, I don't know. What paper stock is it printed on? How does it feel in my hand? What does it look like? Like, there are more levels to it. And because letterpress is so specific within its restrictions, because of its historical nature, because of all of these other, you know, factors, when I get something that has a letterpress element in it, I'm like, oh, this is an event. This is going to be something that I am arriving at. An experience will be had here. Yeah. It really, do, it, it, it's a communication thing. It's a, you don't have to say it, you could feel it. And that's what I love about it. I totally agree with you. And I also think like, okay, so picture this in your head. Your mailbox opens. There's two envelopes in there that look like something fun, right? You pick them both out of the mailbox. You go to open them. Two events on the same day. One invitation is like 300 pounds, super thick paper. It's letter pressed. It's got, you know, all the bells and whistles. It's got a wax seal and a vellum band and all these things. And the other one's like got, you know, a big name printer on the back they ordered online and, you know, whatever. Which one are you going to go to? Like, which party are you going to go to? Like, I would probably go to the one with the fancy ass invitation, you know, like that's why I do what I do. Like it's, I think it's very like, if you envision that in your head, I, you may not want to admit it, but I bet a bunch of you would probably say like, (laughs) yeah, I'm going to go to the one that has the fancy invitation. Definitely. You know, like if you're going to do it, do it all the way. It's not for like half-assed, like, (laughs) or like partially committed, like, we're doing a full send. We're sending it, you know, like we are going all out and this is going to be a wild, wild wedding or it's going to be a, a huge party or whatever it is. Like, I think that's what Letterpress has the power to communicate is this is something we've thought about. This is something that we are committing to. This is something that we're dedicating our time and our energy and our money to. And, um, you know, you can feel that and you can see it. All- and we're invested in. Yeah, exactly. It's not just like a side note. It's not just like an afterthought. It's a serious like, this is this is it. This is the one, you know, like, I think that's super cool. Yeah. And here's the thing, you know, no shame to anyone who's it's just not in their budget. That that is what it is. To me, I don't think that if it is not of value to you, you should spend money on it. I don't. I have actually had consult calls with clients who I know are spending like astronomical numbers on their weddings because they're in other countries. They're renting out castles. They're doing all this stuff. (laughs) And I have a, a consult call with them and I share with them my price list and they say, you know, 
this is just not something that we value. This is not something that we want to put money into because when we receive people's wedding invitations, we take a photo of them so we remember the information, but then we throw it in the trash. Totally. That's fine. There are those people out there. And I I think that, you know, whether it's out of your budget or maybe it's just like it's not your thing. Not a priority. That's totally fine. Yeah. But for me, when I am thinking of my wedding day, like I am putting so much time and so much energy into making this a really magical moment for the very few people who are going to get to be there. And I want them to feel an experience at every phase. Yeah. And letterpress, like there will be letterpress elements at every phase. Yeah. So I'm adding this, I'm adding, I'm adding this to the hot off the press segment because I actually just ordered, I know it's late. I just ordered mine and Nate's holiday cards and I did not letterpress them. I did not letterpress them. I got digitally printed holiday cards for myself and my boyfriend. And you know why I didn't do that is because I didn't have the time. I didn't have the energy. I didn't, you know, want to put all of this effort into it. I didn't want to go out and heat my press <laughs> for three hours before I printed. Like, I I didn't feel like it was worth it. And so I didn't do that. I went ahead and just digitally printed them. It also has a photo, whatever. The whole point is there is a time and a place for it. And we, as letterpress printers, obviously want you to letterpress everything, but it's not always the best fit. Like there is a good fit out there for any project. It may not be letterpress and that's fine. That just makes letterpress more luxurious, honestly, because when you do take the time and when you do put in the effort and when you do spend the money to get letterpress stuff, whether it's invitations or menus or coasters or whatever it is, it makes it so much more special because that says, this is the thing I'm putting my energy and my time and my money into. This is the thing. This is it. This is the one. This is what I'm committing to. And yeah. I love that. I love that. I think I think that's super important to just know and be like aware enough to know that this is or is not a priority. And that's fine. That's totally fine. Um, so yeah, that's my hot off the press for, for this moment. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, you'll be getting your cards in the new year. <laughs> Classic. <laughs> So yeah, that's a letterpress. Lost art. You know, people people moved on. The industry moved on. And thankfully, some artisans were like, no, no, no. This is going to be special. And honestly, if we're going to thank the artisans, we also have to thank the clients who understand, who are looking for something that they just can't get yeah. at the average place for the average price. Like it really, it the industry would have died as all industries would without some sort of demand. So thankfully there were people out there who noticed, I want something special. They recognized that, they noticed letterpress, they continued to purchase it. And the artisans who stayed around, who fought through all of the modern technology, who said, no, this is better. <laughs> <laughs> this is yeah. special. This is worthwhile. And because of them, we still have letterpress and there's just nothing else like it. Yeah, there really isn't. And also when you're thinking about foil, particularly, I feel like that gets lumped in with letterpress a lot because the file setup is the same. The cost is about the same. The, uh, you know, the knowledge and the information and the knowledge of supplies that goes into foiling is the same at some, at you know, to most degrees. Um, 
And and the machines are mostly the same. Yep. The design considerations are the same. You know, every color for a foil job is just like letterpress. It requires its own plate. It requires its own setup. It requires its own make ready. It is a entirely separate process for every color of every design. And you have a certain area you can print. It's like letterpress and foil go hand in hand. And they both are in that kind of same end of the luxury printing methods um, side of the spectrum. So um, we can relate a lot to their to their trials and, and woes, <laughs> but yeah, yeah, yay. Okay, Mariah. So now let's talk about the projects that made a huge impression on us this week. So for me, this week it has for sure been my own personal shower invitations, <laughs> uh, mostly because I used. I always use my own personal work as a way to kind of like, you know, like Experiment. a cat when it's like massaging its little paws. That's what I think about. <laughs> Let's see. I'm going to sharpen these skills. Let's see what we can do here. Yes. I'm like, totally Ooh, what it. things have I not tried with a client? So something I had not tried with a client yet, but I was very interested in was handmade paper plus metallic oil-based ink. Um, I haven't done it yet. I've only recently started printing with metallic inks. And um, if you are, if you, the listener, do not know, metallic letterpress is absolutely not the same thing as foil. So if your client is requesting something that is metallic, that is shiny, they are probably thinking of foil and they are not thinking of letterpress. And here is why. Letterpress ain't so- it. <laughs> The metallic inks have small speckles, almost like little tiny fine glitter particles in them. And on a very flat surface, they are reflective. But when you take an uneven stock, like a cotton paper that already has a surface texture that is uneven, and then you further remove the light refraction by indenting it into the paper you are going to get a lot of shadows on those tiny particles. And so it is not going to be shiny the way that a foil would be. However, it is still technically a metallic ink and people have requested it from me. Um, To do a foil impression is so much more expensive because you have to have a dye that is um, where they usually copper. I think so. Or maybe magnesium magnesium I think you copper magnesium they're copper yeah they have to be a metal it has to be a conductive surface to receive the heat and then you also are utilizing foil which is more expensive than inks so there's a lot of reasons that when you're doing a foil project the price shoots up um you might be wondering like oh well I've seen such and such thing on uh minted or vistaprint and it's really not that expensive but if you notice the elements that minted and Vistaprint offer as uh, foiled pieces are the pieces that are not variable. So they might say things like you're invited or Mr. and Mrs. or, you know, things that are generic that aren't your specific data. And that's because they can utilize the same dyes that they already have. If you're going to do variable data, you need your own dye. It's usually $200 to $250 minimum just to have that made. All that said, I have a lot of clients who are interested in metallics 
And I have a lot of clients who are interested in handmade paper. I have not married the two together. I decided to do it for my own shower invites. It was an experience. Um, I chose. <laughs> can attest. I was there for most of it. Yeah. Can attest. I chose a dark navy paper. And where was the paper from? Um, okay, that's a good question. Wait, I do want to get I want to get that because it's an Etsy store and I want to shout her out. She makes beautiful Cute. colors. All right. So I chose a navy blue handmade paper, which I per- purchased from Etsy. Uh, from a store called Paper Recyclery. That is very hard for me to say. So Paper Recyclery. Um, (laughs) But they have really beautiful shades. Um, Some of my usual uh, suspects for handmade paper, (laughs) my usual vendors, um, either were really in the depths of holiday orders. So they had very long lead times. But honestly, very few people make super dark colored handmade paper and I wanted it as dark as possible so I could give the metallic the best fighting chance it had. So I ordered Navy from paper, paper recyclery and I used Pantone 874 and I ordered that from Southern ink and I hit each sheet with four impresses of the ink. I was trying to give no. it its best, best Four? fighting chance. Four, which meant um, if so you've many. ever used, yes, if you've ever used handmade paper, um, because of its irregular edges, the registration on it is tough to begin with. But to hit it multiple times on a platen press and not have it move around Shift. at all, yeah is nearly impossible. Um, So there was a little bit of waste, but I was very careful in like making sure I actually very slowly fed the press. Like I didn't have it. I was going to say, I bet you were pedaling slowly. Yeah. So slow. I would like take note of where each corner was when it went in and I would try to make sure that I was at the same spot. Okay. My results are that the difference between two and four were negligible. Like could have just done two and it would have been the same result. I also tested adding some opaque white that made it worse. The metallic to the ink itself or doing white and then gold. Yeah. I actually could have told you that. That sucks. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I wanted to experiment, you know, I wanted to know for myself. So all that to say that just the pure gold oil-based ink on the paper gave me with two hits, gave me the best result. However, when all was said and done, in really great lighting, middle of the daytime, high noon sort of situation, it looked fabulous. The moment you did not have direct sunlight on these pieces, everything was hard to read. So I had no time, of course, because I save all of my personal stuff for the last minute. I raced (laughs) down to Paper Source. They saved the day. They had these really fine gel pens. I'm going to tell you what they are in case you ever find yourself in a bind. Um, These are the Pentel Silici, S-L-I-C-C-I, Silici. This is the number 08, and it's gold. And I actually hand traced every letter and star because I had some 
some galactic elements on my shower invites. I hand traced, went over in this fine gold gel pen to make sure that people could read it because I was inviting some people who I knew had a hard time with their eyes. They were putting their readers on to read it putting their readers on. So that's the one I wanted to tell you about this week. Um, (laughs) I took handmade paper, put gold ink on it. It was kind of a success. It was sort of a failure. I saved it with a gel pen. They looked amazing. Everyone loved them. I also just wanted to mention that as an add-on detail, I went down to Michael's and I found some beautiful foil embossed star patterned paper and I turned those into envelope liners. And everyone has been messaging me about how amazing the whole ensemble was. And, you know, it, it really like you can make the best out of the materials that are around you by going to retail stores. Because I will say this, for the most part, being a stationer, it's hard. It's hard to find stuff to support your business when you are in a time crunch because most of our paper stocks are specialty papers and all that. Yep. But small things like being able to get a gel pen from Paper Source and being able to get some amazing vellum <laughs> liners from Michaels sometimes yeah, can be true. a lifesaver in a clinch. So yeah, yeah, I definitely feel like gold can be really tricky. But that's part of like what makes letterpress expensive, right? Like we have tried and we have failed, or we have succeeded, and we can tell you exactly what will work and what won't. Like that's what you pay for when you pay for letterpress you pay for the knowledge and the know-how and the experience and the options like we know you know who offers navy handmade paper and who doesn't and we know like what shade of gold this is actually going to turn out to be and you know we know if you say you want shiny that that's not letterpress you know like that we know those things and there are things that you really can't learn unless you know listen to us obviously and hot off the press podcast but um there are things that you just like pick up in your experience and like you just there's no like book on what works and what doesn't in letterpress and a lot of it is experimentation and um you know, we can't afford to just make samples of everything and create everything that's ever come to mind. So we have to try it on our own personal projects a lot. Um, yeah, I just want to show you, Jillian, like I, so one of my holiday cards has gold ink on it. Oh, it's going to like put you in Beautiful. the Beautiful. I see but it. There's, yeah. And I, so I've tried basically what you did and I tried mixing white into it. I tried, um, I used opaque white the, white the first time and realized that it just makes it like gray. And <laughs> Mm-hmm. I was like, what the hell is this? I was like, what kind of color theory bullshit is this? Um, <laughs> but since that, uh, I have learned that if I mix like transparent white, yellow, kind of a yellowy orange color, um, it works a little bit better. Um, and I like that shade of gold better. But I think I'm using Pantone 872 or 871. I don't think I'm using 874. Um, yeah, you're definitely on like the uh, the colder. I went for a warmer Ooh, hello. Yeah. Um, Yeah, because there's, I would say, like, uh, you know, gold goes down to 876, which I would really consider, like, a brassy kind of copper. Um, And 871, where it starts, is, like, a true, like, greenish gold. Um, Yeah. Yeah, I always try and... I probably should have ordered a different gold to begin with, but I always try and like warm it up a little bit with like an orangey yellow um, mixed in. And that's, but I've seen that. I've seen that a lot. Like I've seen even, um, so we're a little unfortunate because I'm sure there's health factors associated with it. But uh, there used to be these two part metallic 
uh, I'm not sure if they were Van Sons or a different company, but uh, it was like two different mixing agents that you would combine to hmm. create your metallic. And those are extremely hard to come by. You cannot find anyone who's manufacturing them now. I believe you can only find people who are like selling old cans of it. And mm. it's probably because of like some sort of toxicity situation. <laughs> but there's definitely when, a label that should be on there, even though there isn't. Yeah. 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 When I've done the deep dive onto Briar Press and stuff, um, people are basically like, if you don't have this, then you need to foil. And there's really yeah. nothing that compares. And, you know, yeah. but I still really love like a good bronzy, like even if it's not shiny, I love a good bronzy, goldy look. So it's, it's just a different style. What your and clients want. Yeah. yeah. It's all about knowing what you want and what your client wants and what the actual effects you're going for is. Um, but yeah, fun learning experience nonetheless. Okay. Okay, so are we ready for you to tell us about what's hot off your press? Yeah, so I know that you use gold ink on your shower invitations. I used gold on a couple of my holiday designs this year for my Christmas cards um, and seasons like greetings and all those things. So I, you know, I usually mix a little bit of like a yellow gold into my gold ink and I do, or I'm sorry, a yellow orange into my gold ink. And I do like how that turns out a little bit better, but Still, I used gold in these designs and I'm actually really happy with how they turned out because I used it as kind of like a secondary, like as a little pop of something and not like as a main focus. And I think that worked well for me. But um, what was super cool is that I had, um, you know, somebody who wanted to order holiday cards, but they wanted to use one of my existing designs. And so semi-custom, like we talked a little about it, especially with like, you know, when you're talking about like you know, some of the bigger names and what they reuse, like different parts, like we can reuse the plates that we have and we can remix the ink to match and like all of those things. So when you can reuse a plate, you can save quite a bit of money on the initial cost of that project, um, whether it's for holiday cards or a product offering that I have, or if it's for like wedding invitations, you know, if you find a designer that you love this one particular design they made, like maybe the option's there for you to use that existing design. And like, there's, you know, a little bit of leeway for revisions and stuff. Like there may be some, you know, cost for that, but like sometimes you can either like a designer can save some of their existing designs and make something new out of it or do what we consider semi-custom and create, for example, one graphic or one border or one style. And you just change the names, the dates, the whatever important information on it. Um, in this case, I actually did my card design on one side and then their custom message with a little border that matched the card, colors to match the card and match the digital printing other message to the letterpress ink that I did. Um, but it allows me to give you something that's way less expensive and kind of lowers that like entry fee to get into the letterpress kind of card category. Um, because I had the design, I was literally already printing the same colors for my holiday card. So it worked out perfectly timing wise, but um, it's definitely something to think about when you're talking about like the cost of letterpress. Like if there's someone who offers semi-custom letterpress invitations, maybe that's a better route for you to go. You'll save that design fee or you'll save some of that initial cost and you can still have that like incredibly luxurious experience. Um, obviously if completely custom designs isn't in your budget, which it's not in everyone's budget, that's totally fair and completely valid. Um, 
you know, there's something out there for everyone. I think semi, like semi-custom options are are really a good a good route to pursue if you want to save a few bucks on your invitations, but you still want something really special. Um, I think that like, you know, there are so many ways in invitations and in paper goods that you can save some money. Um, and I think it's really just prioritizing like what you value. And we talked a lot about that in the cost of letterpress in general, but like whether it's a wax seal is really important to you. Or if you really want like all the cards with all the different information in that envelope, like you want a details card, an RSVP card, you want like, you know, all of these things, like maybe a super thick, like 300 pound paper doesn't make the most sense because then you're going to get into like this crazy amount of postage. Like there are ways to save money. And that's what working with like a particular stationer will do for you is like, you could order online, but then we could tell you like <laughs> that's going to cost you four dollars and fifty six cents to to mail every one of those. Whereas if you just order them and did it yourself, you might not know that until you get to the post office. Like there are ways to save and make up the cost of letterpress in other areas in your invitations. Um, so yeah, I love that you. Uh, I love that you reused your design. I actually had someone who was like, my son's having a graduation party and. I don't know if they saw my New Year's disco card design or if they just asked me for a disco ball, but like I had a disco ball and um, I was able to, they didn't need many invitations. So I was able to do the calligraphy by hand, but an alternative thing would have been to digitally print the like information of the party and just letterpress the disco ball. But I was so stoked when I got a client who wanted me to reuse a disco ball that I already had from a greeting card. I was Love like, that. yes, because I will tell you, yeah. as someone who's very eco-conscious, like it, it raises my anxiety a little bit when I look at my photopolymer plate library. Like yeah. I save everything, especially if you are a client who will be reordering. Like if you're a business and you've ordered business cards or anything like that through me, I save all yep. of those. I say obviously save everything for greeting cards, anything that would be considered semi-custom. So like foliage and cacti and just like odd shapes that might be used, uh, yep. circles, swigglies, all of it gets saved. And then I look at this huge, ever growing thing and I'm like, oh my gosh, if I don't make good use of this, it is just waste in the world. So yeah, I mean, kudos to I us have every like, time we reuse something. I think that like over my learning experience printing, like one of the things I feel like I'm getting better at every time I create something for my store I um, recently did these little note cards that have squiggles and they overlap and I love them. I love how they turned out. I'm genuinely so excited. I use the same squiggle. I just designed the squiggle so that when I overlay it in three different ways, it looks like a completely different squiggle. Like you would look at it and be like, no way those three are the same, but they are the same exact plate. I just moved it a little bit and shifted it around and I made a plate that would work for that purpose. Like I, I actually have one right here. Yeah, I need to see it. I'm so excited. Yeah, so I um, yeah, it's hard to tell. There's yellow and no, there's it's yeah, not showing up in this light. There, it's like I'm like here. Let me turn this off. I see it. Wow, you really okay? It's like really hard to see in this light. It's like bright. And I know, but like, I can the yellow. Yeah, so it's 
the same squiggle, but you would never know it. But no. it's the same plate. It, you know, it's like that saves me, that saves me money. It saves me plates. It saves waste. But I get to make this super cool, like little abstract card out of it. And I also love, um, these were kind of inspired by Brit by Swell Press. She does these little CMYK uh, note cards. And I wanted to test overprinting. Like I've never overprinted with letterpress on purpose where you like print over the same area in different colors. And I was like, well, obviously I'm going to start with primary colors and I have a pink, a yellow and a blue. Right. And then I have a purple too, but um, it was really fun to test that out and see what it would look like and how much the inks show through versus mixing together. And like, it was a really fun experiment and it was super low, like, low risk because I was ordering one plate. I was ordering one squiggle for all of these cards, right? And I it was so much fun. So anyway, um yeah, I really like those little abstract note cards that I made. I'm really proud of those. They were I feel like they represent kind of like a next level of knowledge, like understanding how I can best save time and money with plates. Um and also using ink on top of other ink and what that actually looks like and how it actually works out. Um because it's like, yeah, you put pink and blue on top of each other. They don't turn into purple. <laughs> they like, you know, it's not like it's not like uh, you know, like your classic ink mixing. It's not it's not quite the same. Um, so it was really fun to like see what that actually looks like. It's very much just pink showing through blue. It's not purple. It's pink showing through blue. Like it's transparent and you can see the other one underneath it. It's not that they combine together. Um so it was really fun to to try and learn and, and see what that looked like. So I really like them. I'm really happy with how they turned out. Gosh. Anyway. So, <laughs> what an episode. We talked about how letterpress almost became a lost art and how now it is considered one of the most luxurious printing methods that you can order and use. And I am really grateful for Mariah sharing her story about her reuse of Christmas plates. (laughs) And we just want to thank you so much for tuning into this episode of Hot Off the Press. I hope you laughed along with us and all of our tangents and that, you know, you feel like you have a couple of friends in the letterpress world. Yeah, don't forget to subscribe and uh, leave a review of Hot Off the Press on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you're enjoying this episode. Um, We would love for you to join the conversation on Instagram. You can find us at Hot Off the Press Pod. You can message us with your questions or let us know if there's something you'd like to hear about next time, and we will be happy to discuss. Yay! Cheers! Cheers! Talk to you soon. Au revoir! (laughs) 